So tonight, I'm going to stand before this convention, this wonderful camp meeting, and I'm going to give you my witness of Jesus Christ in Scripture and in what I've seen him do. That's what Christianity is. There are just two elements in Christianity, your faith and your ministry, what you believe and what you do about it. That's all. Believe in your heart that God has raised him up from the dead and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. That's Christianity. That's what I do tonight. You buckled in? Mark 16. You can locate the verses later. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. John 14. And he that believeth in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. John 14. And whosoever shall, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Matthew 28. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Mark 16. And they departed and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming his word with signs following. As I read, receive. As I read, let life be breathed into you. The life that heals, the life that forgives, the life that loves and lifts and blesses. Let it come into you through his word. 1 Corinthians 1, they preached the gospel and knew nothing among the people but Jesus Christ and him crucified, John 12, because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, 1 Corinthians 2. So their message was not with excellency of speech, nor with uh, enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that the people's faith might not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, 1 Corinthians 15. And they preached the gospel of salvation by which you can be saved, that Christ was crucified and mocked and condemned that he died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again and that he was seen of each of the twelve apostles and of five hundred believers at one time because if Christ be not risen then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain and we are all false witnesses of God and we are yet in our sins Acts 1 but he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs Acts 2 because he was approved of God by miracles and signs and wonders that God did by him in the midst of the people. 
Hebrews 2. And as they preached this great salvation, God bore witness with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2. This is the Jesus whom God hath raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Acts 2. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Acts 4. Because there is salvation in none other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Romans 10. And if you shall believe in your heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that this Jesus is Lord of your life, you shall be saved. John 1. And as many as received him to them gives he power to become the sons of God. John 20. And all of the miracles that are recorded in the Gospels are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. 1 John 5, For he that hath the Son hath life. John 10, Because he came that ye might have life and have it more abundantly. John 11, because he is the resurrection and the life. John 14, and no man can come to the Father but by him. John 13, and this is life eternal, that ye might know the only true God and Jesus whom he has sent. John 3, and whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is the gospel we preach. And this is the message of truth which he confirms with signs and miracles and wonders so that you may believe it and receive Christ and have eternal life. Yes, sir. Jesus Christ, our Lord, came to this world by a miracle, conceived by a miracle, born of a virgin. Angels said, call his name Jesus. He'll save his people from their sins. More angels said, a Savior is born, Christ the Lord. He came to give his life a ransom for your sins. He came to shed his blood for the remission of your sins. He came to show you how much God loves you. He came to show you how valuable you are. He came to show you God's love in action. He came to show you 
that God is good, that God is a savior, that God is a deliverer, that God is a healer. He came to show us God, and he came to show us mankind, humankind, as God intended that we could be. Emmanuel, God with us. God hooked up and living in and through a human being. Jesus came and showed us that. He came to do the will of God. Every time he forgave a sinner, he showed everybody, he showed us what is God's will for every sinner in the world. No matter how low, no matter what has taken place in your life, he came to show you that it's his will to do the same for you. He came, and every time he healed a sick person, he did it to show that it's his Father's will to heal everybody sick, and there's never any reason to stay ill. He came to, show, to do good and to show you that that good can be for everybody, for he never accepted anybody. People cried out to him. I'm giving you gospel now. People cried, this is, Ken Jr., this sermon's for you. You said, number one, we're to go back from this place as witnesses. With the, by the power of the Holy Ghost to go back and win people. I'm sharing with you gospel tonight. People, the simplicity of it, people cried out to him and were saved and were healed. He told us, if you ask for something, you'll receive it. He told the people, everybody that asks for something will get it if they believe. If you call, he said, I'll answer you. Everything he did for people showed people what God's will is for everybody. A leper, an extreme case, cried out to him in agony, knowing that he could do something but not knowing about his love and compassion. And he said, if you, are, if you want to. I learned that preaching in Latin countries, trying to get them to get that English twist on will and won't work. In a Latin language, it comes through only want. You know, and if you want to, you can. Well, he wanted to, and he did. If he wants to, he can fix you up tonight. Well, he wants to, and that's what he's here for. You are on a divine rendezvous with God tonight, and that we're here to do business. Three years, Jesus ministered and set this example of blessing and lifting people, giving good news to people, never talking down to people, always lifting people, never accusing or judging or condemning people, always forgiving and lifting and blessing people. Marvel of marvels. For religion was so mean then, it's still the meanest thing on earth, but it's toned down to what it was. It was so mean. And when Jesus came and said those nice things to people, I think it's the most beautiful thing. I don't know, it means so much to me because we hear so many stories. We go out here on these big old fields or parks or open spaces, put up a big platform, put 15 or 20 telephone poles in the ground, hook big speakers on them, and get up and just talk to the people every evening. And share with them the good news about Jesus. Never putting them down. They're so poor. Many of them. 
and they hurt so bad, and nobody was ever kind to them. Women with their ugly feet because they've had to walk barefooted. They see Daisy, her feet are pretty. She has nice shoes. We let them sit right up or stand right up against the platform. After a few days, when, they, when, they, when the excitement gets down where you can get down to business, some of them around close will sit down on the ground until the crowd gets to surge and then they lose their place and that's over. But sometimes they can. I've seen those women up close draw their feet up under their, their clothes to cover their feet because Daisy's feet are pretty. They like to have pretty feet, but they're poor. I've seen men smile and cover their mouth. My teeth are pretty. They'd like to have pretty teeth. But somebody held their head down while somebody else took pliers. They didn't even have an aspirin. And they pulled those teeth. And they're embarrassed because they got one or two left. Nobody says anything nice to them. Beggars come in the crowd. Who would say anything nice to a beggar in India? And for them to come and sit and hear and see the lights and hear, hear those big sounds coming out and to hear words that are nice words, good news, not a judgment, not a condemnation, not a put down, but a pickup, a lift. Welcome the friendly voice of Jesus. He's not mad at you. He cares for you. I'm so touched by his goodness. He said one day, if someone hears my words, I can't hardly believe it says this. After hearing a lot of preachers, I get scared over here. And Jesus said, it's so sweet. He said, if anyone hears my words and believes me not, I won't judge him. The thing I love about that man, Dr. Hagen, I said to Copeland tonight, I was leaning by him, I said, Ken, Dr. Hagen is one of those total love men. I've never, and, and then he mentioned that. I've never seen him riled. I've never heard him after anybody or out to prove anything or with a chip on his shoulder or wanting to vindicate anything or anybody. Love has no enemies. There are no enemies in the love world. That's over your head. I know that didn't go over. But you pray about it. A few years down the road, you'll find out about that. And that'll echo back and you, you'll get it. How can you carry revenge or animosity if you live in a world with no enemies? You're free. It's the most wonderful world I know. There are no opposers. Oh, they may run with their bucket and teapot to the ocean and threaten to dip it, but you don't mind. You got plenty. This Jesus, everywhere he went, was good and kind. Three years he set the example. They finally managed to kill him. He told them, I'll rise again. He authorized them after he came back to go everywhere now and tell the good news. And you can have my name. Go in my name. I'll go with you. I, I heard Demas speaking one day and I was impressed 
about the vision he had or the, what, what an experience he had. And I've told this many times, and I think it's nice. He, he was all frustrated, and him and God were at it. And he said, God, he got a little overwrought. There's half of the world out there that don't know a thing about you. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to let them go to hell? And he said, God spoke so sweetly to me and said, Son, I've done all I can do about it. I gave you my son. I gave you his life. I gave you his name. I gave you his word, my word. I gave you his authority. It's in your hands. And I believe that. Well, don't, don't strain over that if you don't agree with it. The essence of it is right. You can rephrase it to suit yourself. But the idea is, he rose, he told them to go, they went. The book of Acts is the record. Terrific. Wow. Then 300 years. Pretty good. Terrific. But then politics entered the church, and ceremony became more important than life. And a thousand years, dark years followed, when the church for the most part became a religious institution that didn't care too much, not much power, no miracles, only creeds, formalities, rituals. But then in the last days, God promised to restore and pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. You and I are living in that day. It's a great day. We're living in Bible days. And my, my purpose in setting that stage is to give you my witness. We are his witnesses. Daisy and me are two of his witnesses. If Christ cannot come back because we've not accomplished what we're to do, then Daisy and I will go on and be with the Lord. And you'll read stories about us and things we'll publish and leave, God willing, as witnesses. I'm here before you. I might never address this camp meeting again. We might not ever be here like this again. I'm alive. I'm extraordinary. I've been a long way. I don't think probably anybody in the world has the track record that Daisy and I have insofar as touching the really untouched masses of people. People say a lot, people advertise a lot, they say Osborne's preached to more people than anybody in the world. That, that's not true. We've probably reached more people that were unevangelized, non-Christian people. That's where that got started. Non-Christian people, unchristianized people, people in unchristian lands. Millions upon millions of them face to face. We might have seen, I don't know, it seems like. Maybe we've seen among, sure, for sure among those kind of people, more marvels and miracles and wonders like that than maybe anybody on earth. That frightens me to think about that because I expect to see a lot more of it. You know, it, it seems to keep getting better. Over here in America, I was talking to the Copelands, we had lunch yesterday. Over here in America, we talk about these uh, ebbs and these flows and these uh, times of refreshing that come 
over here. And, and that is true. It happens over here. But where we've been, it never has changed. And it wouldn't have been any different for you if you'd have been out there where we were. Out there, it's never been... In other words, out there, there has been no ebb and flow. It's been the same. Where there is need, where people are reaching out. See, if you don't reach out, you're not going to get. you got to seek to find. And the ebbs and the flows have been those tendencies in people to reach out and then quit reaching out. And every time we reach out, it comes again. Well, I've been walking among those that are reaching out all the time, so it's never been any difference in 33 years. So I'm, I'm giving you a witness tonight. There's a lot of young people here. You are being, as the French say, you're being formed in your attitude. You're being formed in your, in your uh, outlook on life. Listen, your ears are open. A witness is here. For 33 years, nothing, nothing has changed. Our daughter came to, her, to the crusade in Monterrey, Mexico. She grew up on the platforms of mass evangelism. Knew nothing but that. Then she married. She had her four children pretty close together. And, of course, that buttoned her down to life in its serious form at home. And uh, so it was 17 years that LaDonna had not been in one of our crusades. It happened to be in Monterrey, Mexico. It was close enough to home. Uh, we flew her and the children down there. LaDonna stood on the platform night after night weeping. One night I asked her to come and speak because she's quite a preacher in herself. And as she stood up weeping, talking to the Mexican people, that was her witness. She said, 17 years ago, I didn't realize at the time, I was shocked. She said, 17 years ago, I sat on the platform, and she said, where? I don't remember now what she said or which crusade, but 17 years back. And she said, this is what I saw. After 17 years, it's exactly the same. It just seems more wonderful. She said, it's logical to me. If it's worked 17 years, it's going to keep working. Now, my witness to you people tonight, you young people particularly, when you go from this place, take courage. The gospel works. You can bank on it. It'll work. And go where the need is the greatest, and you'll never know an ebb or a flow. You'll only know the glow. And so, go and show. That's what it's all about. I want to I witness to you at the risk. Why, well, Brother Copeland, I appreciate you saying that, and it was a witness from the Lord. At the risk of being misjudged. As Brother Hagin says, I don't say this to call attention to me. That's beside the point. I've had all the crowds I want. I've had all the attention I want. I've been before the, the press all that I want. If I had my way, give me a nice quiet cabin under some pretty trees and some roses and a garden and leave me alone. But that's not the way we get it. There's a world out there that's hurting and we are committed. We are committed as long as we can totter. Brother Hagin, we are committed. Hallelujah. And so what I say tonight is not given to you to cause you to go and say, hey, those Osbournes, they've really whipped the devil in a lot of places. They're terrific. No, that's not the point. What I say to you is, there's a world out there, and we are commissioned to reach it. 
And we don't need a vision or a revelation to cross the line of our frontiers. That world is our estate. And I, as a representative of Jesus Christ, speaking by the Holy Ghost, authorize you to go wherever you want to go. Find the place that you like the looks of or that turns you on or that tickles you deep and go for it, baby. Take it. Take it. If you have particular guidance, thank God for it. But don't use that as a weapon to tell everybody that didn't get a vision that they shouldn't go. That's been one of the cruelest, archaic doctrines that the church could ever preach. Thank God that's fizzling out. Institutions like Rama Bible Training Center, none of that stuff going on there. Boy, you guys are up and at them. Oh, Daisy said the other day, said, Honey, just around the corner, any great churches you speak in in America will be Rama preachers. They're already inviting us. They're writing and telling me, I'm a Rama graduate. I've got 2,000 in my church. I've got 1,000 in my church. Will you and Daisy come? Now, only go to the big ones. I'd be silly to go. Uh, I, I, priority, you got sense enough. To, your priority, you got to keep that straight. If you could tell a thousand here and one there, wouldn't you tell a thousand? I would. You may not, but I would. I've done it all my life. I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to go where I can reach the most people. That's why I'm here. I could have been a lot of places. That don't take much sense. Thank God for what's happening that we can go to the world. So, by way of witness, now for 33 years, see, plus, now almost 70 nations, all kinds of them, and there's been no difference. Does that tell you something? I witness to you because I'm his witness. I am his witness. That's what I live for. That's my reason for living. Someone asked, and they always ask me, how did it happen? You know, Mar Matthew wrote a gospel. Mark wrote a gospel, and T.L.'s going to write a gospel. T.L.'s writing a gospel, I should say. James is writing a gospel. Paul wrote a gospel. He talked about his gospel. Mark told the same story about Jesus that John told, but he told it as Mark saw it. I tell it as T.L. and Daisy saw it. In essence, it's the same thing as Mark saw, the same gospel. As a young boy, my father and mother, they, they were Baptists, but they had, during Depression, they had quit going to church. And so when I come along, I don't remember anything about church. I didn't know what a Sunday school quarterly was. I remember when I heard someone say Sunday school, I didn't know what that was. My, my dad, they tell me earlier, was a Sunday school superintendent and, and spoke in the church lots, led prayer meetings, and was a Christian worker in the community. And he reverenced God and loved God. But I'm just saying during Depression, 13 kids, I guess, I don't know, I guess he, he just uh, got so wrapped up. I, I don't know what he did, but he, he, he just dropped out of going to church. And I came along, didn't know anything thing about it. But then uh, my brother, one of my brothers found a bunch of uh, holy rollers, my dad called them. And uh, they were people that believed what we believe. And they were wonderful people. And my brother, who was a school teacher, and we were very proud of him. That was big stuff, you know, when you learn that much. And uh, he went off to these people and got changed and then came back to our farm speaking the most beautiful language 
And for three days and three nights, my brother Lonnie couldn't speak English. And my dad was, at that time, I suppose you'd probably rate him a hard-shell Baptist because he was tough and he did not like that at all and considered a very bad influence. And, but, and, and listen, my dad was law and order. I mean to tell you, just a nod was enough for anything. Copeland, I heard you talk about your dad. Man, I had one of them. And, and, and nobody would go against him, but my brother would not shut up. And for three days, he was a family nuisance to my dad. The rest of us were curious. But finally, he got me to go with him. They had an old piano, and I could play, I could play the old organ. And so I played the piano for him. And the first night I ever heard a gospel sermon preached. Now, I had gone with another brother to one meeting, but it was a different kind. And it, it, didn't, it didn't, didn't do anything to me. I don't want to say anything because I don't think it does any good to say anything negative about anybody. But it just, even a little boy like me, it didn't do a thing to me. Not a thing. But this other bunch, I was playing the piano for them. And they, they, when that sermon was finished, they made an altar call. And they had one, a bench. And that's where I headed. And I was saved, wonderfully saved. Well, it wasn't but very long until I got this wonderful thing. It happened to me. They wouldn't let me alone till I did get it. And I went home, and I couldn't shut up. It didn't last as long as me. When I got up the next morning, I could talk English. But I went to sleep speaking this other language. And I had to go through my dad's bedroom to get into where I had to sleep. And that was a precarious moment for me. But I was high enough... That he, and he come up and told me to shut that stuff up in no uncertain terms. And I couldn't shut it up, but I did get out of his hair and, and went on, uh, got in there and, and then finally got to sleep. But then I had it. You know, that is a wonderful experience. Well, that was when I was only 12. By the time I was 13, I was teaching a Sunday school class of people up to age 21. And uh, then uh, by the time I was 15... Ernest Dillard, a preacher in our area, knew about me, and he'd been to the church and seen me around, and God had been dealing with me, and I, and so he wanted me to go with him, and I have to skip all the details. God did some miracles there, but anyhow, I got to go with him. I was the last boy, last of seven boys, and it was a little delicate, you know, leaving home, the work for my dad to do, and me just running off this tongue-talking preacher, you know, that was a pretty, pretty dumb thing to do. It looked like dad was losing every way. Here, the last boy, and he didn't have any sense either. But anyhow, I got to go. And I stayed pretty clear of home from there on. I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get caught again. I, I'm sorry to say it that way, but I tell you, I just, I didn't want to ever get back. That isn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people know about Jesus. And so that's what I started doing. And by, at the age of 15, I went with him, and he made me start preaching. I never did get a call, but he forced me to. And he'd tell me on Friday night, you either preach or turn white and sit down. Well, I guess I turned white every Friday night, but I never, and I don't know if I ever preached, but I never did sit down. I know that. I stayed with it, and it got to feeling good. And I liked it. And it worked, and people got blessed. And so then he took me to California, and that's when I met that beautiful Lady Daisy and, uh, at 17. And I knew it was a good thing, and by 18, I married her. 
And we got married and got back to Oklahoma with 52 cents, but we were in love. And, that, and I, got a, I got a job out here at Sand Springs for $16 a week, but that preacher wouldn't let us alone. Now, I hadn't worked but three or four weeks till he came and got us to go with him again. Well, that went good, but uh, three or four dollar offerings a week didn't go far for four people. And so we had to do something. So uh, uh, I had a cow and a calf on the farm. I've got a beautiful bronze of a cow and a calf in my office. If you ever see it, you can remember this cow and calf story because it's a prize to me. And, uh, and I, I found a guy that had a Model A Ford, and he, he would trade it for the cow and the calf. I was scared to go to my dad to ask him to get the cow and the calf, but I finally got the nerve, and we managed some way to get the cow and the calf market, uh, get the cow and the calf, get it arranged, get them in the barn, so the falcon go pick them up. And I got the Model A Ford. I didn't know the thing wouldn't hardly run. And I didn't know, I could have worked on a mule, but I didn't know nothing about a car, you know. And uh, my, my wife, Daisy, grew up with fellows working on cars all the time, hot rodding things, so she knew how, and I had the muscle. She told me how, and I repaired the Model A Ford. My brother gave me $20. With $20, we got the Ford repaired. The only thing, she didn't explain about tightening the rods. And I, I like to do things good. So tighten, while you're tightening things, tighten them tight. And I got them tightened up, and we pulled the thing, the back wheel skidded. So we had to tear it all down. I learned my lesson about rods then, that you've got to have them just about so, so. And anyhow, we put the thing together, and it run, and, and we headed to California uh, with $35. And we made it and got out there, was out of her money, but sold it for $65. And that bought two train tickets that got us to the first church that would let us preach. And that's all we had. So the cow and the calf and the Model A Ford and train ticket was all gone. We had to produce. And I think, as I remember, we got about 10 or 11 people saved, including one drunkard. And that was big business then days. And, uh, and so that started, and God began to bless us and up and down the western coast. And a woman came along told us about India, and that struck our heart, and we gave ourselves to go to India when our little boy was 10 months old, sailed for India, got to India, and there we met these wonderful people that I thought they were heathen. I didn't know they loved God. I called them heathen. I called them pagans. And these Muslims, I was, it pulled the skin out from under me when they were so nice to me, and they'd come up and greet me, good morning, brother Osborne. I thought holy rollers was all that did that. Here was these heathen Muslims. They worshiped Allah. I thought Allah was a bad word of some kind. I, did. I was pretty dumb, I'll admit. I didn't know that was just the Arab word for God. And I, it, it, it messed me all up. I didn't know what to do. And uh, the Hindus were nice to us, of course, you know. And so th th these Muslims, they wouldn't give up. They saw us young and sincere. Boy, I was, I was after them. And they, they'd tell me, well, let's talk. Prove to us about you. I, what I found out was that they loved God. It, it stumped me. He'd go to the post office. They'd be praying. He'd get on the train, be on a crowded train. Pretty soon someone start shifting his bow hand around to make enough room to get down and, and unroll a little rug, and he'd be praying out loud. And I'd think, wow, that's a Muslim. I thought he's a pagan. He loves God better more than me, maybe, because I, I'm not praying like that here on this train. He's prayed... Five times a day. You know, you've got you to give them credit, haven't you? Do you pray five times a day? Well, that's the way I thought. And, uh, but the trouble is, I didn't know what to do about it. And so, so I, I, but I found out where the difference was. I told them about Jesus. I found out they knew about him. And they thought he was terrific. Well, that stole that fire from me. And I told them, I thought I'd tell them about him healing people. 
They believe he's a healer. I didn't know that. I went to quote some of the things. Oh, they said, we've got a lot of his teachings in our Quran. They said, but I found out the difference. They didn't believe he was born of a virgin. They didn't believe he was conceived of the Holy Ghost. They didn't believe he was God in the flesh. They didn't believe his blood was divine. And they didn't believe God raised him up from the dead. Well, then I had something to work on. So, boy, we had to do business then. I had it in perspective. And so we got together and they said, prove to us. I said, boy, I sure will. And I went to going through there to find them. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We, we, we don't believe that. I said, what are you talking about? I said, that's the Bible. That's the Word of God. No, they said, this is, this is the Word of God. And they laid that other book up there. I said, what's that? I said, that's the Holy Quran. The Word of God by the mouth of His Holy Prophet Muhammad. I said, I never heard of that. I thought any dummy in the world would know what the Bible is. Well, that floored me. I didn't know what to do. There were two nice black books with gold print on them. One of them talked about Jesus, the Son of God, risen from the dead, conceived of the Holy Ghost, saved of the world. The other denied it all, didn't bring up any of that. Which one was right? I couldn't prove it. I said, let's go home. Let's get out of this place. And that's exactly what we did. We sold our clothes. We sold our fountain pens. We sold our shoes. We sold everything. We come home. But we'd seen the masses, and that's where Jesus came in my room one morning. I came back. I was going to hear Charles Price preach. I was going to the camp meeting. He died just before the camp meeting. I went to the church praying, agonizing, just like you was preaching, Ken Jr., the other night, just exactly you were saying my words. I went to the church. I knelt down, and I wept, and I prayed. I said, oh, God, who is going to fill our big auditoriums? Who is going to demonstrate your glory now that Amy's gone and Smith Wigglesworth is just gone? Amy, I didn't get to meet her. She was gone. Now Charles Price is gone. My world crumbled, and I didn't know what to do. And Hattie Hammond preached that sermon at that great camp meeting there at Brooks, Oregon. If you ever see Jesus, you'll never be the same. John chapter 1. I went out of there days and I weeping, went home praying. We'd been fasting. I said, honey, that's what we need. And it was the next morning at 6 o'clock that Jesus walked in our room, and I looked on him like I look on you. I lay before him as dead. I couldn't move a finger or toe. Water poured out of my eyes, yet I was not conscious of weeping. I don't know how long I lay there before I was able to get up on the floor. I crawled into a little ante room that was my little study, and there I lay on my face until the early afternoon. When I walked out of that room, I was a new man. Daisy said I knew I had a new husband when I walked out of there. I had become a very strong organizational man. I had become, we'd come home from India. They had voted us into their largest church in the Pacific Northwest District. They had finally made us the presbyter, as young as we were, of the district, the secretary, treasurer of the district. I controlled, I handled all the money, wrote all the checks, and they were fixing to vote to lower the age limit to be superintendent of the district so that they could vote me in because I could get the money for them. They couldn't get the money. If you can get the money, you can get them out of trouble, see? And I ought to throw in this, young people, if you're ever going to preach and do anything, you got to be able to get the money. And I say to Europeans, when you learn to get the money, you're going to have revival. The money is important. We don't seek neither the money nor the glory, the gold nor the glory, as Oral said. But you got to have the money to pay the bills. I got to skip a lot of that because I want to witness to you about something. Listen, we were changed forever. We had a convention. I was a host pastor, the headquarters church. We were going to go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Bible conference, we called it. 
A man of God came to town. Miracles, signs, and wonders. I hadn't seen them. I had hollered. I had yelled. But I couldn't make nothing happen. Brother Bosworth said, if I was the devil, I'd be afraid to come out. Be afraid. I wouldn't come out. I'd be afraid the gang would get me. I, I, I yelled, but it didn't work. But that convention on Wednesday night, I stuck with them because I was a host pastor. And I, I, I loved them. I thought, well, then I could go Thursday and Friday. Would you believe on Wednesday night if they didn't pull a vote on that convention decide to go to Friday? And that fixed me. So I had to do something. So I had to stand up and tell them. And I made it as nice as I could. I said, you sent me to India. And I wasn't able to do anything. I had to come home. I got to have an answer. And I said, there's a man in town that's doing miracles in Jesus' name. I got to see that because I know that'll make the difference. I said, I don't want you to think that I'm cutting out on you. I love you, but I've got to go. Well, they didn't applaud or nothing. But anyhow, well, that was... Uh, and fortunately, you know, in good faith, we never, we never did have to have a problem about that. You know, you don't have to fuss if you don't want to fuss. You can do things courteously and get a long way in life. And I was able to handle that with God's help, and they were courteous, and they respected it, I guess. Well, there wasn't nothing I could do about it, actually. A few things, remarks passed around. wasn't very good, but anyhow, I did it. I had to do it. And that night, I saw Jesus in a man. And when I saw the miracles, then I said, that is the way Jesus did it. That is the way it worked in the Bible. That'll work today. We went back to our house. With a pact between us, we shall read the New Testament as though we never read it before. Everything it says we can do, we shall do. Everything it says he will do, he will do. Well, that's all there was to it. That's when I began to find these wonderful verses of Scripture that I hadn't heard anybody preach on. I found out that terrible thing that sickness was of the devil. That was a bomb blast then. But the Higgins knows what it was in those days. That was a bomb blast. I found that out. I read that in the Bible for myself. Then I found out I had power over the devil. I had no idea about that. I was full of the Holy Ghost and didn't know what he was good for, what he was good for. I wasn't taught. I found out I had power. I found those great scriptures where he gives us power and authority over all the power of the devil. In my name you shall cast out devils. Well, then that, that drove me right against the wall because I had two good new things that I discovered, but then I blew the third. Here, if sickness was of the devil and I had power of the devil... That was terrific until I happened to think, yeah, but it's not God's will to heal the sick people, just a few of them once in a while. And if I run around with all that power and I can cast them out, I'm going to be messing up God's will. So I had a problem. Well, I had to figure that one out. And that's when I began to discover that Jesus is the will of God and that everything he ever did for anybody is the will of God. And that he, never, that he never refused anybody healing. And that God anointed him with the Holy Ghost. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. And all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And when the evening was come, they brought unto him all those multitudes. He preached the word to them. Every one of them were healed, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Well, 
it all made sense. I discovered these wonderful truths. And then I found out, well, there's something. I, 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 sickness of the devil. I got power of the devil. It's God's will to heal them. Hey, there's just one thing left, and that's go to it. Go do it. it. That's exactly what we did. We set out to do it. The first night we announced, we went on the radio. They came from everywhere. We preached, lined them up. Only God knows the wonders that took place that first night in our own church. Stories that I could tell about a woman, 14 years with one leg. She had been in an accident. It was healed, twisted. The hip was stiff. The leg was drawn up, and she walked with two crutches. And as we laid hands on her, angels sung her a song. She heard angels singing for 30 minutes, and her leg straightened out, popped, the bones cracked, and her leg was straight, and she prayed it up and down the aisle while we went ahead praying for the others. The first night, but it had to happen. It was... Anyhow, we were burning so we wanted to go back to India. We were ready for those Muslims. Oh, boy. You know, but we didn't have any money, so we couldn't get to India, but we got as far as we could go. We found a place called Jamaica, and we could mortgage our car for that much money. We got to Jamaica for 13 weeks, night after night after night, preaching in those 13 weeks. I didn't know how to do it except the way I'd done it in America. So 9,300 people had marched forward, had accepted Jesus, as they say in Africa, 1-1, one, one, you know, uh, receiving Christ individually, and then we would line those people up and pray for them. Dear days in me, until 1 o'clock in the morning, night after night, one line this side, one line that side. I didn't end up pile of crutches over here. Daisy have a pile of crutches over there. They didn't care which line they got in. Both of us going after it. Night after night after night after night. During those 13 weeks, we counted all, almost 100 totally blind people that received the sight. Hundreds of other people partially. Almost 100 totally blind people received their sight. We counted 125 deaf mutes that were restored in those 13 weeks. And only God knows the cripples. I read my diary and I cry. I read things I forgot that happened. There all sorts of things. So, F.F. Bosworth heard about it. And we came back for a break. Brother Branham was weary in Flint, Michigan. He said, come. Branham's too tired to carry on. Carry on the meeting. Everybody wanted it. Bosworth told them what had happened down there in Jamaica. They was all tickled about it. So there I was. And boy, I didn't know what to do. Yeah, I did know what to do too. I couldn't do it like Brother Branham did it. I didn't know nothing about that gift. But wow, he is the gift. He is the gift. That night, I wanted to settle one thing. And while I preached to the people, God preached to me. And God said to me, did you ever do that? Yeah, you preachers have all done that. God preached me another sermon completely while I was preaching to the people this, this other sermon. And God said to me, how big is a miracle? I said, well, I don't know. And I was preaching all the time. A good sermon, too. And God said, when you pray and ask me to do something, a miracle, and it happens, that's a miracle, is it? Yes. It's something you couldn't do? Yes. I couldn't do it. And, and you prayed, and it took place? Yes. So it's a miracle. Yes. How big was it? Was it limited? How much power did it take? 
all these questions in my mind. And then God slipped up on me and said, I wonder if you could, if you, if you asked me and you couldn't do it and your prayer got through to me and you can't see me and I sent power down and did it and it worked. Reckon you could ask me to do two at once and it'd work. I just a sweet, he's never accusing. Never. I said, yes. Boy, I was getting bigger. I mean, you know, that thing's getting bigger in me. I'm still preaching. He said, what about if you did it for three at a time? And then five. I couldn't help but think about Abraham over there praying down there for Sodom. Would you save it for just a few? How about a few more? Yeah, still save it. I, me and God was just going after it. Now I was preaching a good sermon. How about ten at a time? Yeah. You bet. Bring me on ten, I thought. Sure. And God just blew my brain. He said, if I'm the one that does it, why not just everybody at once? Oh, I knew, I knew, I knew he would do it. So I was preaching my sermon. I wanted to prove it. I didn't know how to prove it. So I slipped up on it. I got through and made my call. A lot of people got saved. And then, then I went for it. I said, everybody in here that's deaf, one ear or both, if they're both ears, you'll have to, someone will have to tell them what I said. Come down here. Fifty-three of them came down there. Fifty-three. I'll never forget that night. I stood before those fifty-three people. And I talked to them as though every one of them could hear. A lot of them had interpreters with them were telling them. And I told them the whole story. Quoted every scripture I could think of about the authority that I had over the devil and why sickness was of the devil. And God didn't want anybody sick and didn't want anybody deaf. Made two ears, want you to hear out of both of them. Give you a spare. One goes bad, you still got one, but he wants you to have both to be balanced because God's balanced. And then I stood and I prayed over them, not touching any of them. And I spoke directly and very precise in my prayer, all 53 of you deaf spirits. I talked to all of them. And I called out 53 of them. Might have been 150. Who cares? God didn't care. And I guess the devil's so scared he, he didn't care. But, uh, but anyway, so far as I was concerned, one person deaf represented one deaf spirit. And I said, all 53 of you deaf spirits, I adjure you in Jesus' name. And I talked about the name of Jesus, the power of sin and all that. You leave them now, I adjure you. And don't come back to them. I take dominion over them. Then I prayed to God, welcome God's spirit to come and let healing mend what had been destroyed by the devil. And then I said, got all through. I said, now get over there. I motioned, come up here, Daisy and me want to check you. And we took her wristwatch, not mine. You know, today that's funny. Uh, I had a kid ask me the other day, he felt that's funny when I said, tested deaf people the wristwatch. And he didn't know you could hear a wristwatch. He'd never seen a wristwatch he could hear. So I found out I was outdated. These crazy things, you can't hear them. They don't make no noise. So that's a silly story to tell. Now you see how old I am. Anybody got to watch the ticks? Yeah, okay, they're still around. Won't be long, they won't be around. That'll be an old-fashioned story, won't it? But anyway, we took daisies because our ladies didn't tick very loud and brought brought them before us. Everyone except two or three. Now I'd have to read my diary to see whether it's two or three. Now I tell the story and I forget. Two or three was... Every one of them could hear her watch tick out of either ear perfectly. Every one of them, except I say two or three. What about the two or three? We were there three nights, and I, I told them plain, be sure and let us know. 
before Sunday night, the three had come back, they also could hear the watch tick. That was 100%. 100%. Now that's... Now, that's my witness to you. Now, okay, does this work? Now, we went then to Puerto Rico. There were the thousands of people that came together, and we were still trying to deal with them one-one, but they was fighting each other. So we thought we'd whip that. I was pretty smart. We got the police in on the deal. Had so many police there anyhow, they took over handing out the healing cards, the prayer cards. Now, I'm telling you, we believed in organization. And the police could control it. So they'd go out there, and they'd have to meet them in the morning out there on the field, and the police would get in the cart. And we found out the police were selling them for 5 and $10 a piece to their special rich friends, and that blew that. So then God said to me, well, what, what are you doing? Why don't you do what I told you about up there in Flint? Don't you think it'd work? I said, yeah, it'll work. And so that was when it started. And we preached and ministered to the people and then prayed one prayer for everybody. And the most heavenly things began to take place. Only God knows. Never could we even begin to hear all of the testimonies. So many miracles, you, you know, you can't tell about them. They, they brought a guy from prison that had a club foot and on crutches. And the guy got healed. They had two guards with him with guns. And when I told the people to act your faith, he did. I told him if you couldn't run, run. He did. So they thought he was trying to escape and took out after him, but lost him in the crowd and had to give up the chase. But the guy wasn't trying to get away from them. Pretty soon he ended up at the platform. And when he come up, here come the guards. But they then saw what he was up to, and it was okay. He was well. Hundreds and hundreds of stories like that that are too wonderful to recount. Okay, to Cuba. Well, they might have said it won't work here. Now, here's my witness to you. I've spent a lifetime... Daddy Bosworth used to say to me when he was 75 and I was 25, he'd pat me on the leg and say, Brother Osborne, I'm tickled pink to see you. Said, if I could be where you was when I was 25, could be where you are. Said, my life been different. But he said, you've got my book, Christ the Healer. He said, you know everything I know. Took me 30 years to learn it. Now, it's my turn to hand on to you something. 33 years I've been figuring this thing out. Not really, but proving it. We went to Cuba. Missionaries met us. And they consoled us with that old stuff. Brother Osborne, Sister Osborne, we don't want you to be disappointed. It may not work here. Cuba is different. It's hard here. But it wasn't any different. There were devils there. There was opposition there that I don't want to tell about because I don't like to publicize for the devil. I like to tell the good things. I got plenty of problems in my life, but I don't put them in Faith Digest. I put the nice things there. I want to help people. But in Cuba, the whole island broke out in revival. And at one time, I called preachers and told them, come down there. We had four mass campaigns with over 50,000 people in each crusade going at one time, all within 100 miles distance. Marvelous things. It wasn't easy. Four nights before we got a break, I'd pray nothing happened. I'd say, come back the next night, it'll happen. I'd pray nothing happened. I told him, I said, bring the same bunch back tomorrow night. You come back again. This thing I'm telling you works. They took me at my word and came back, and brother, it worked. Before that thing was over, heaven broke loose, and only God knows what happened in Cuba. Then, Venezuela, South America, they said it won't work here. This is really religious down here. 
But I was able to go to South America and find out that God was the same there as he is anywhere else. Central America. I won't tell you all the bad things that happened. Some mean things happened. The devil did some bad things. But every time we whipped him. Then to Japan. What about Japan? We went there. They said the Japanese will never respond. They'll never believe it. In one crusade, 44 deaf mutes were healed in Japan. The Japanese blind people received sight. The Japanese acted just like a bunch of people from South America or Africa. No difference. I'm here to tell you, Japan is waiting for us. Over a hundred million strong, wanting to believe the gospel. We have the answer. I would that I had a life to give to Japan alone. To Thailand. It won't work in Thailand. A Buddhist monarchy. When we went to Thailand, they, they told me there were less than 12 spirit-filled people, Holy Ghost-filled people, according to the way the Pentecostal people talk about it, in all of Thailand. And most of them were Scandinavian missionaries. I preached the first sermon on the gospel. They said, you Americans are all bloody. You go out and kill people. We're Buddhists. We don't kill anybody. They laughed when I, when I talked about Jesus crucified on the cross. They laughed. They said, you even have your religion, blood in your religions. I went home late on my face that night. I said, God, I didn't come halfway around the world to make a mockery of the gospel. And I heard a voice saying, preach the gospel. And I answered back, Lord, that's what I did. He said, no, you explained the gospel. Just like that, I heard it. You explained the gospel. Announce the gospel. Brother Copeland, I said, the power is in the announcement. The power is in the announcement. The, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes. When you believe... What Jesus did, Bosworth used to say, gospel, what is gospel? Good news. What good news? The good news of what Jesus did on the cross for you and me. What did he do? Good news to the sinner. He bore your sin. Why? So you don't have to. So what? You can be saved. Good news to the sick man. What good news? He bore your pains. He bore your diseases. Why? So you don't have to. So what? You're healed. When? Now. That's the announcement. That's where the power is. I've stood before many a congregation, many an audience abroad, could do it in America, but we got a little too much, uh, you know, we're a little too indoctrinated. But over, overseas many times, but sickly, you may have been there when I've done it sometimes, preached the gospel, told what Jesus did, how he died, tell the story. What is gospel? Gospel is creation, Calvary, and now. You haven't preached the gospel unless it's Genesis, Calvary, and you. That's gospel. That alone is gospel. The dream of God. The devil messed it up. Jesus redeemed it. Now by the Holy Ghost, I am living it. Adam and Jesus and me all the same. The line, the direct line, that's gospel. That's the story. Young preachers, young believers, hear me. T.L. Osborne witnesses you. That is the story to make clear wherever you go. People need to know God's original dream. Tell it and make it plain. Explain how he created them. Explain Eve wasn't cross-eyed. Help people to understand that. Adam didn't have one leg shorter than the other. Eve didn't have tuberculosis. Adam didn't have diabetes. Say it. Explain it. I don't know why. You need to tell it. He made them beautiful, well, healthy, in love. 
Get that love part in there. Oh, boy, we turn audiences on all over the world. I come to that part, I always get Daisy up there and hug her. You get the point? Adam and Eve were in love. I say, well, you see Adam and Eve or Teal and Daisy, you see the same thing. Happiness, contentment. But then the problem, questioning the integrity of God's Word. That God said it, but He didn't mean it. And that brought the curse. That was the problem. And that's what Jesus fixed. God, in all of His love, couldn't leave us alone. Gave His Son to take our place. The innocent dying for the guilty. No crime can be punished twice. No debt can be paid twice, only once. The sins of T.L. Osborne judged forever in Jesus, my substitute. T.L. Osborne, not guilty, free forever. Hallelujah. Never to be judged. Never, never, never. Free forever. The sin question gone. Remitted out of existence. T.L. as free as Adam before the fall. Forgiven. And in that same way you were free. And in that same freedom when he bought that he was laid on him our diseases. That's why me, I'm not sick, I'm well. Why he took my diseases, he bore them. Since he suffered them, I am well. I don't have to get that way, I am that way. And you, when you discover that you don't have to get healed, but that you are healed, because Jesus has done everything he can do for you. And when that nickel drops and you catch on, you look where your tumor was and it won't be there. You may never know when it goes away. You go to move your leg that was stiff and it'll move because the truth has set you free. The power is in the announcement of the gospel, the good news. And to the world we went. Thailand, the same. The masses came. I went back the next night and announced scriptures, just announced scriptures to the Thai people. And when I got through, hundreds of them came forward crying. And the, and the chairman, who was a Presbyterian who could talk some English, interrupted me and said, Brother Osborne, oh, don't lead them in prayer. They don't know what they're doing. I said, how about that? Did you ever see that many come forward to get saved in Thailand, sir? Brother Boomark? He said, oh, no, no, they don't do it that way in Thailand. I said, I believe it's working. He said, but let me explain. And he used the wrong word. That's what God said to me the night before. And I had to get rough with him, something you don't do in the Orient. I mean, to, to lose face is a terrible thing for a young man telling an old man, off, that, that's bad. And as kind as I could, but I'm telling you, he was bugging me. And I am me. I can get tough if I have to. And uh, you won't get far if you can't get tough. You have to. And I said, Brother Boombark, Boombark, just please sit down and shut up and let me alone. And that shocked him. His face flushed, and he sat down, and I went back to go get him, and my interpreter was gone. And I looked, someone pointed. I went to the back of the platform. Imagine this. Down behind the platform, down by the steps, here he was, all doubled up, just bawling like a baby. I said, Suk, Bungsnoy, come on, let's go, man. He said, I can't go, I'm crying. I said, come on. He said, we can't cry in public in Thailand. I said, you're going to learn how, and I grabbed him, and got him out of there, and got him up there. That crowd was converted night after night. 
today all over Thailand. Miracles, miracle ministries. Little boy came where we were sleeping. Nice people hosted us. Our bedroom was up here. It was, it was a marble house. Down below was a patio. He sneaked up little 12-year-old boy and asked Sister Alexandra if I could bring my little sleeping mat from the village. Could I sleep under the servant of God? I believe if I can, I'll get some what he's got. Sister Alexandra, a precious woman of God, was so glad to have him come. I didn't know about it. Every night he slept there. Today, that boy is the superintendent of the Assemblies of God of Thailand, a strong organization out there. He's got a big tent, built a big church. He, Brother Vinachai, has gone all over Thailand, Malaya, casting out devils, healing the sick, raising the dead, sweeping the Buddhists into the kingdom. That little boy. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. I witnessed you. Thailand, Buddhist monarchy, no different. Indonesia, Muslims, no different. India at last. Fourteen years later. Back to luck now. University City. Where we had to leave town in shame. Fourteen years earlier. This time, it was different. 50,000 people gathered before the stadium grounds on a great field. And there was where this young fella, young then, that had laid six weeks flat on my back with typhoid, had to leave India because I didn't know, any, didn't know how to get miracles, walked up on the platform and faced that field of precious Indian people. And if you don't believe that was a picnic, boy, you ought to have been with me. What a joy to tell those people what I had witnessed. I don't think I've ever beheld what I, beheld, what I saw in India. Two little blind brothers, born blind, both of them received their sight. You should have watched the Hindus when the little boys looked at each other, fondled each other's noses, felt of each other's ears, talked at each other, looked at each other. An old woman carried their beggar woman left to die. Some of the Christian ladies found her. An untouchable. You wouldn't know what that is in those days. Uh, in India, that's a terrible thing. She was dying, brought her to the meeting. She heard the gospel, instantly healed, came up, and of course, little bitty things so precious, I had to love her. You know, what, a, what an honor to hold her in my arms and let her tell the people. She cried. She said, all my children have died. My husband died. And now I was dying. I could no longer beg. I was too weak for the people to hear my voice. I had crawled under the bushes. You say they do that? Literally. I had crawled under the bushes to die. Some of the dear people found me, carried me here. Now, it was like heaven in her face. As tears streamed down her face, she said, Now, I'm well. I can beg again now. They can hear me. Just listen to me. How loud I can talk. I can beg again. Oh, boy, that'll get you. I held her. Here comes from the other side a little woman I knew was wealthy, high caste, but just a little bitty thing wrapped in a beautiful white sari embroidered with pure gold thread. Have you ever seen a sari with pure gold? You Indians know what it is. People here don't even know what that is. Pure gold thread. Gorgeous. They, they set beautiful gems all over their, all over their sadis. Real gems. Diamonds, rubies, amethysts, emeralds. Beautiful thing. This little rich woman, 
She too. Oh, the little woman I never told you was blind. She was blind. This little woman. No, I've got my stories mixed up. She wasn't blind. She was dying. But, the, but the, it was the two blind boys I was talking about. But the, the, the other little rich woman, she was blind and she'd received her sight and was so overwhelmed. And her fine clad Indian escorts, you know, her family brought her up so proud. And I thought, boy, here's my chance. I can sow some love because you know an untouchable. That's like a leper. You don't even get close to them. You don't touch them. You don't get in their shadow. I had her in one arm, and I had talked to her like she was my mother, and I had loved her, and I told the people about how precious she was and how glad I was, and, and the people felt good about that. Here come little Miss Millionaire that was precious too. God loved her, but the Indian people can't get them together. And when she come up and she was overwhelmed, her eyes were open. I said, come and tell us. And so I got over there. She told her story. And then I put my arm around her too. I kept the other little poor lady, the little untouchable lady. And I had them both, one in each arm. If that don't make you feel good as a representative of Jesus. And I bragged on both of them. And I acted like a dummy, you know. I acted like I didn't know a thing in the world about their custom. That I wasn't no dummy. And I said, this one, look at her. This one, look at her. Oh, I said, it's beautiful. Your sisters. I got down on my knees. I said, come together. Hug each other. Get acquainted with each other. Your new sisters. And a little wealthy, high-caste Indian woman, a Brahmin woman, and a low-caste, untouchable Hindu. Untouchable was in each other's arms, loving each other. That's what the gospel will do, my friends. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so many things broke loose. Judah thought heaven broke loose. The frogman got healed. Ask anybody in luck now who the frogman was. The frogman was the man that I can't get no near, not near the position to show you what he was. They called him a frogman because he was from here down, just skin and bones. And when he walked, he pulled himself with his arms, but his legs were up by his head and his knees up here, and they would kind of pull him along, and he got along just like a frog. They called him the frogman. Never seen him walk in his life? The frogman. Everybody knew the frogman. Talked to Andy McDermott, Assembly of God missionary there. I saw him a few months ago. He was raving about that frogman. He'd never forget that frogman because he knew him. The frogman jumped up and was as well as I am. Perfect. His legs were perfect, and the town went crazy. Way out to the edge of the crowd was a Hindu standing there with his arms crossed, seething with, with the resentment and deter a member of the Arya Samaj party, the religious political party that has as its creed to stamp Christianity out of India and run every Christian from the shores of India, standing out there seething with anger, wondering what he could do to get a mob against us, stood there while we preached. And as we prayed for the people, him seething and looking, suddenly Jesus appeared before him and looked at him and smiled at him. He ain't mad at anybody. And slowly opened his hands and said, Behold, my hands, I am Jesus. And disappeared. He came, he fell in the, the dust, weeping, came running to the platform, grabbed the microphone, witnessed to the people what had happened, and all of Lucknow heard the wonders. It's happened all over Africa. India is no different. Indonesia is no different. I'm witnessing for you. I'm alive. T.L. Osborne, I have no reason to lie to you. I want every Christian here to know because there are hundreds that will be going abroad from this 
from this great camp meeting as a fruit of the Rama Bible Training Center. And I want to give you my witness. I've spent my life this much of it. I got a lot more. I, I, I had to find out, will it work everywhere? It's got to work everywhere. I give you my witness, my wonderful young friends. The world is your estate. Never learn anything about any religion. Never preach against any religion. Never give attention to any creed or any culture. Never talk about their culture or their religion. Never any of it be determined to know nothing among them save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For if you lift Him up, He will draw all people to Him. There is a magnet about the power of the story of the gospel that I cannot explain. But Paul said it, and I have proven it. The gospel is the power. Tell people the creation story. Explain that sin, which was not believing God's word, is what messed it up and gave the devil control. But God didn't want the devil to keep control. So he fixed a way for everybody to get out of their jam legally. So God gave his only son. He had made a law, if you sin, you got to die. Everybody sinned, everybody would have to die. God didn't want that to happen. So God figured a way. Love's idea. Give my son, sinless, born of a virgin, no seed of man, the bloodline perfect, tested by the devil. Ever t devil came to him just as quick as he's mature, just like he came to Adam and Eve in the garden. Jesus sent him scatting with thus saith the word of God. I ask for no better argument. I ask for nothing better to stand on than this. I don't need, I don't, if I had feelings, I wouldn't bank on them. If someone felt something, I wouldn't depend on it. This, I have stood on lonely platforms, feeling myself as dead as a wooden stump, feeling as though God wasn't in a hundred miles of me. For for some strange reason, I've had to walk by faith and have almost no feelings. Tingles, I don't know where they are. Hot surges and cold flashes, they don't come to me. I am a nothing so far as feeling. I guess you'd call me a dud in that way. But maybe God wanted it that way. I've stood on those lonely platforms. I say lonely because it's lonely when you walk out of there and nobody's applauding you because they don't know where you come from and couldn't care less. Because you're a foreigner to start with, and you're a dummy because you don't talk their language. And you've got the wrong color skin, and you don't sound right, and you represent colonialism, and you're not really, you don't feel very good. Lonely, because you're surrounded with witch doctors, with duck bladders, and goat eyeballs in their garments, and, and snake skins, and bird claws, and... And what else could I say? Well, all their juju fetish stuff, paraphernalia, because they're there surrounding you on a mission to put their curse on you. I've never felt one of their curses yet. I say, bring them on. Let them get as close as they can. I've had missionaries say, watch it. He's a powerful one. I say, get him close. He gets very close to me. He won't be powerful anymore.
I'm talking about these lonely platforms. Without it, how I envy some of you that, that minister with, with some of these gifts. From the time I saw Branham, I begged God for that, and he never did pay any attention to me. Somehow. I don't know. Maybe he did. And I, mean, I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. He pays plenty of attention. But that wasn't his plan for me. One thing I love about this man, Brother Hagin, I love his patience in always explaining to people the different ministries that the Holy Ghost manifests. I think that's the most beautiful thing. And his tenderness and always no judgment. Never any put down of anybody. Always explaining, God leads me to do it this way. Other people God leads other. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Back in the day, I remember when everybody's preaching against somebody else, if they didn't do it the way they did it, thank God that's not the way it is anymore. We understand the beauty of God flowing together. I saw Richard Roberts up here last night. I said to his dad, oh boy, I said, Oral, he's turned on. He's got it. Isn't it terrific? Did you ever see anything more beautiful? I never did do that way. But oh, what a gift. I witness to you, it'll work anywhere. The power is in the gospel. The power is in the gospel. The gospel is the story of creation, God's dream, and why it was messed up, and how and why God fixed it up in Jesus. And since it's fixed up, that's the report we are to give to the people in the form of an announcement. Announce the good news. The power is the announcement, is the proclamation. Proclaim that the devil got you in trouble, but Jesus handled him for you, and he took your sickness and your disease and your grief and your heartache and your failure and your poverty and everything. He bore it all in your place and died under the load, settled the account, came back from the dead, lives today. Your Savior comes to you and you can't do anything to make it any better. You can't pay for it. You can't pray enough prayers to get it. You can't fast and find it. And you can't pay for it. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing God can do to make it any better or improve upon it. All that is to be done has been done. Now it remains to announce it and for you to say oh I see oh you say he died for me yeah oh he bore my sickness mine yeah oh my sickness oh okay I see all right count me in boy amen that's all there is left to do hallelujah you believe it I've tried three times to finish that sermon, and I never have yet. So, since we got to go home, I got to quit. Stand to your feet.